Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you, you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. You definitely want to stay tuned for this episode, because today, we have Chris Susie from the Raptor Trust in New Jersey as our special guest. So now might be a good time to go out and buy some night vision goggles, because we're talking about the night's silent predators. Owls. When you think of an owl, you may be imagining something that looks like Hedwig from Harry Potter. But what you might not know is that owls come in all different shapes and sizes. There are over 250 different species of owls, and they're divided into two families. Titanidae, which are owls that have heart-shaped faces, and Strigidae, which are owls that have rounder faces. There are owls on every continent except for Antarctica and they live in a variety of different habitats. Although most owls live in trees and barns, one species of owl actually lives underground. That owl is called the burrowing owl. The largest species of owl is a great horned owl, and their wingspan can get to be around four and a half feet long. And the smallest owl is called the elf owl, and their wingspan only gets to be about ten and a half inches long. Owls may look a little chunky, but that's because they have a lot of feathers that help keep them warm. And it's actually really hard to spot an owl because their feather color usually blends in so well with the trees. And this is a form of camouflage. And owls really use stealth to their advantage when they're hunting for prey. And we'll get more into that when I have my interview with Chris. Speaking of hunting, most owls are nocturnal, meaning that they only hunt at night. And they're really great predators. They usually eat small mammals, frogs, snakes, and lizards. And the color of their eyes actually indicates what time they like to hunt. Dark brown and black eyes means that they like to hunt at night. Yellow means they hunt during the day, and orange means they hunt during twilight hours. Owls have beaks instead of teeth, which means that they can't really chew up their food, and they have to swallow it whole. So this means that they swallow every part of the animal that they're eating. And their stomach acid isn't strong enough to digest feathers, fur, and bones. So they have to vomit that up. And that makes what we call an owl pellet. When they're not busy vomiting up their food, owls need to find love. A lot of owls use their hoot sound in order to find a mate. A lot of owl species are monogamous, which means that they only mate with one other individual although 25% of barn owls separate from their pairs, which is actually better than the divorce rate in the United States, which is around 40%. And for owls, raising kids is a team effort. The male usually hunts for food while the female is keeping the baby safe. And some owl species, like the short-eared owl, 
will lay a different amount of eggs depending on if food is scarce or plentiful. Usually, more food means more eggs will be laid. Unlike a lot of birds, most owls don't really migrate, but there are a few exceptions. Snowy owls have a really weird migratory pattern every four to five years, where they fly a lot further south than usual. And this phenomenon is called eruption. And they do this intermittently because every so often, when the owl population starts to rise, they don't really have enough food to support the entire population, so they have to travel farther distances to find it. Okay, so we're going to take a break, and when we get back, you're going to hear my interview with Chris Susi from the Raptor Trust. Time for a trivia question. What was the first animal to go to space? A, a fruit fly, B, a monkey, C, a human, or D, a dog? The answer is A, fruit flies were sent into space in 1947. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here with you on Wildlife. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about owls. <laughs> um, so before we get into owls, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, I'm 5'10". I have blue eyes. I like long walks in the woods. <laughs> uh, actually, I really do like long walks in the woods, and that's part of the gig at the Raptor Trust. Um so I, I I grew up at the Raptor Trust, really, literally. My parents founded the organization. Um, you know, it's been part of my life for, you know, 51 of my 55 years. Uh, but I had a sense, you know, even when I was a kid, just how sort of special and interesting and uh, kind of crazy it was. Um, I left, uh, I went to Rutgers. I stayed in, in New Jersey, um, you know, through through college and, and you know, lived real close to home. Um, I moved out west and lived um, in Colorado and New Mexico and other places for a while. But, you know, the Raptor Trust in New Jersey and the Great Swamp in particular always kind of felt like home. My dad passed away six or seven years ago and the board of trustees asked me to come home and steer the ship. And, you know, it's an amazing organization with a long, long, long history uh, of doing great work for wildlife and the environment and education and birds in particular. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to be proud to be back. That's great. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what the Raptor Trust does and what you do there at the organization? Sure. So we're um, a wildlife rehabilitation organization primarily, and uh, we have sort of a threefold mission. One is to provide free care for any wild birds that need assistance. Uh, and while our name is the Raptor Trust, we take in any native wild bird that has been displaced from its nest or injured or hit by a car. You know, we see birds that are orphans. We see birds that are injured. Um, we take in as many as 6,000 birds wow. a year. We've handled like 140,000 birds since uh, since the organization's founding. Um, 
and we try to get as many of them back into the wild as possible. This is where they belong. Uh, so that is our, our main goal. And we're successful as often as not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having put 50 or 60,000 birds back into the wild is uh, quite an accomplishment. And it takes a large, a large crew. Part of the, the mission is also education. So we have a team of educators and teachers on board who speak to school groups and scout groups and lead tours. We have about 50 permanent resident birds that live at the Raptor Trust, mostly raptors, hawks, owls, eagles, falcons, vultures, um, that are they're birds that can't be released back into the wild. They've been injured or compromised in some way that would make them you know, unsuccessful and unable to survive in the wild. And then we have a, a mission also to provide you know, an example for humane treatment of wildlife. We try to teach people how to be better stewards of the environment and how to live in consort with these animals that share our, our world. And really, they've done very, very little damage to ours, and we've done a lot of damage mm-hmm. to theirs. So it's kind of where um, we try to, uh, you know, cross the bridge and you know try to try to get people to meet owls and hawks halfway yeah. <laughs> um that's that's great so can you talk about some of the owls that you currently have at the raptor trust i can i'll just highlight a couple who are kind of our rock stars we have a great horn owl whose name is oogla he is uh, 40 years old which wow i think uh, from the research that I've done and from the scouring of the internet I've done, he may be the second oldest great horn owl that ever lived. I can't find any records that conflict with that. Um, he came to the Raptor Trust in 1980 as just sort of a fluffy little ball, but he had already been raised in captivity. That period when they're really, really young is when they become imprinted. And his first experiences for weeks of being fed and being cared for were by people. So he never associated with owls. Mm -hmm. That bond happens very, very quickly in the first few weeks of the wild animal's life. And in particular with birds, they, um, you can't really turn that around, you know? So from six weeks old until now, he kind of thinks he's a person. Um, He's a character. He's, you know, beloved by a lot of uh, folks who come and visit the Raptor Trust. He's a staff favorite. And he's been there so long that literally five generations of my family have known this one bird. My, That's so cool. <laughs> my great grandmother gave him his name. Ugla means owl in Swedish. When she first saw it, all she said was, hmm, Ugla. From her to my 10-year-old daughter, you know, it's kind of amazing that this bird is, you know, he's outlived most of my family. <laughs> that is pretty amazing. <laughs> but he's pretty cool. We have a, we have a snowy owl, which is uh, not a breeding bird in New Jersey. It's a winter vagrant. They come down sometimes from the Arctic. They're in, uh, uh, it's kind of, a, we're at the southern tip of their range. Um, so they do come down from time to time if you're out bird watching in the wild you'll see snowy owls sometimes in the winter but not every winter but that's kind of a cool bird because it's that classic big white you know on the cigar box kind of owl um and then we have most of the other owls that occur here in the state we have screech owls and sawwet owls we have barn owls um in the past we have had long-eared owls but they're uh, very very uncommon uh in this state and we did have one for many many years but it passed away they don't have 
uh, lifespans, except for Google, as long as most people do. Um, so we have, uh, we, we've got a lot of owls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, obviously you've been around owls for a very long time. So uh, can you answer this question? So other than the classic who that owls make, do they make other sounds as well? They do. Um, and the two owls in the state of New Jersey that make that classic, you know, hoot owl sound are the great horned owl that we talked about before and the barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D. It's got sort of vertical stripes or bars on its chest. Um, and they both um, make different kinds of hooting sounds, but they both do hoot. Um, when they're agitated, Many owls, in fact, many birds click their beaks. They just make like a snapping sound. And that means like, dude, you know, give me a break, you know, like get out of my face. So we see that sometimes if we're cleaning their cages in the middle of the day, owls are nocturnal and you wake them up. They really don't want to be bothered. They click at you. And that's sort of like the go away noise. Um, a lot of birds do that. Mm -hmm. um, but our little tiny, tiny sawlet owls, which are only, you know, sort of like four inches tall, they're smaller than an American robin that you see in your yard, you know, eating worms. They're tiny, tiny little guys. Um, they make a sound that sort of sounds like the, the construction vehicle backing up. They kind of go like, doot, 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 doot. <laughs> the barn owl, B-A-R-N owl, which is a white sort of uh, heart-shaped faced owl, uh, makes this sort of like blood-curdling, deathly scream that sounds like someone's being murdered by a knife in, in the night. It's, it's a <laughs> horrible, horrible sound. And when they're not making that sound, they make this, like, ghastly hissing noise uh, that sounds like uh, steam escaping from a pipe. Um, and strangely, screech owls, which are common in New Jersey, don't screech at all. Really? Oh. They make sort of a high-pitched uh, whinnying noise almost like a horse it's kind of like um sort of high high to low whinnying sound and my owl noises are like good enough for the average user i don't think um any owls would think they were i was saying anything intelligible <laughs> that's that's really interesting so like you said owls are nocturnal and they hunt their prey at night so what kind of advantages do they have that makes them such great predators uh, they have they have quite a few. Um, for the record, though, not all owls are nocturnal. Most of New Jersey's are, but there are some owls that are not. There's an owl called the burrowing owl, um, commonly found sort of in the western United States and one, uh -huh. one small population in Florida. They're diurnal. And a couple of owls are what are called crepuscular, which is not diurnal and not nocturnal, but they're active dawn and dusk rather than day or night. Um, and the short-eared owl, which does occur in New Jersey, is kind of one of these crepuscular owls. But, uh, but, but generally speaking, almost all owls in the world are nocturnal. Mm -hmm. In order for them to be really good hunters, they've got two or th maybe even three major adaptations that are just sort of a step beyond what a lot of the other raptors have. They have amazing, amazing hearing, really gigantic ear holes they don't really have ear uh, external ears like we have sort of big ear lobes and these external you know flappy fleshy things they just have a gigantic hole in the side of their head really um and they're actually not symmetrically placed one uh is a little bit higher on the side of the head 
than the other. And that helps them triangulate. You'll sometimes see videos of owls sort of wobbling their heads back and forth and everybody says, oh, that's cute. You know, they look like a bobblehead. But what they're doing there is trying to balance the sound that they're hearing in their ears. And because their ears are asymmetrically placed, it helps them uh, triangulate on prey in front of them. So once they're able to uh, get the sound of something that they're hunting, maybe a mouse rustling in the leaves or something like that, uh, equally balanced in both ears at the same volume, they know that their eyes are locked directly on the prey. So that's a really good adaptation to have if you live in the darkness, really, really good hearing. Beyond that, they have amazing eyesight, really, really gigantic eyes, huge in, uh, in proportion to the size of their skulls, like some owls, their eyes take up sort of half of the inside of their skulls. Um, if you had eyes the size of an owl, you'd have eyes basically like baseballs inside your head. I mean, it would be that. Wow. Um, and they also have extremely soft feathers, which helps them fly really quietly. They're not very fast flyers. They're not like a falcon that can go 200 miles an hour. They don't have to do that and they don't need to do that because their thing is stealth like i can see you you can't see me i can sneak up on you from behind and you don't even know i'm coming that's the owl's entire gig you know this sort of stealth and um, advantage of silence and being able to see a little better and hear a little better than most things at night the edges of their feathers are serrated almost like a comb so as they flap their wings, the air passes through the edges of those feathers uh, almost silently. That's insane. It's really, really cool. <laughs> Going off of that, I read about how owls' eyes are kind of like tube-shaped instead of spherical. Right. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. Uh, basically, they have binoculars inside their heads. That's the. I mean, it's a really good, very simple analogy. They have long, long tubes that are very, very efficient at collecting light, just like a telescope or uh, one lens of a binocular. They have two. Both their eyes are forward-facing. A lot of birds have uh, eyes sort of set more to the sides of their head, um, but owls have binocular vision more than most birds. Both eyes can focus on the same object at the same time directly in front of them, and those eyes are really, really long, tubular-shaped, light collecting machines. That's exactly what they do. They also have most of them a sort of uh, disc shaped set of feathers on their face that helps uh, when they're um, listening for something, those feathers are pretty stiff and it sort of pushes sound out to the edge of that discs. And that's right where the edges of their ears are. So they have kind of in reverse, a satellite dish built into their face. It helps focus sound but out at the edges of the disc, and that's where their ears are. Wow, that's pretty cool. Do their eyes have anything to do with how they turn their heads really far, and how do owls do that? Yeah, I think, well, yes and no. Their, their eyes do have something to do with that in that they can't turn their eyes at all. Their eyes are so big in their heads, and because they're long and tube-shaped, um, they can't really uh, turn them side to side. Over time, I guess over millenniums of... Uh, you know, evolution, they've lost the muscles that we have to turn our eyes side to side. So their evolutionary strategy has been sort of to figure out how to turn their heads a little further. So they have more vertebrae 
in their neck, about twice as many as we do. Most owls have about 13 vertebrae. I think there are some species that have 14, and humans typically, I think, have six. I'm not a mammal expert. I think six or seven for humans and about twice that many for owls. So they can turn their heads about 270 degrees, which is like three quarters of the way around, which is like Linda Blair exorcist weird um, to watch, but uh, it is what allows them to compensate for not being able to turn their eyes in the sockets. Wow, that that's a great evolutionary advantage uh, that owls have. Man, yeah, and you, you picked a great topic to sort of talk about um, those little tiny things that make one species or one family or, you know, one genus of, of animals uh, just slightly different than the rest. Um, they're, they're, they're pretty unique even in the bird world. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about how great they are at, at hunting prey. Do they have any natural predators? Uh, some do. Um, typically in nature, the larger the animal, you know, the fewer the predators. That's a pretty generalized statement. It's not true all over. But something like a great horned owl, which is a really big, really powerful owl in New Jersey, stands, you know, two feet tall, you know, talons that can, you know, easily injure, probably not kill, but injure, you know, a human. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, there are smaller owls, like sawwet owls and screech owls. They're tiny. You know, they only weigh a few ounces. They're small, like songbirds. And a larger owl, like a great horned owl or a barred owl, would probably eat a smaller owl, <laughs> like uh, like a screech owl or a solid owl. So the smaller ones do have natural predators. Um, and, and most of them, I think, are probably subject to predation uh, when they are uh, a little more helpless and young, you know, nestlings and hatchlings, even when they're eggs. Uh, snakes, they're, you know, crows and blue jays are nest predators. They will eat eggs um, of just about any kind that they can find. So, um, what I said about great horned owls being, you know, big and able to defend themselves is true when they're adults and strong, but not necessarily true when they're eggs. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And could you talk a little bit about why owls are so important to the ecosystems that they live in? Oh, sure. Um, they're really good. Um, they're, they're a very good check and balance for things that we often consider pests, which primarily in, in our area are rodents, you know, rats mice, voles, moles, shrews, those kinds of things. Um, they're, they're beneficial to humans in that way. Uh, I don't particularly like to judge an animal's uh, right to exist on this planet by its, you know, its value to humans. I think yeah. things are here for a reason, and most of these animals were here hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years before humans took their current form. You know, they've they got more of a right to be here than we do, really. <laughs> um, but they do provide uh, a system for keeping populations of other things in balance. And for smaller owls, like screech owls, that may be, you know, grasshoppers or little tiny frogs or other things. For larger birds, uh, like great horned owls, it's going to be, you know, squirrels and skunks and things like that. But they all... Um, help keep uh, a natural balance in the environment. And, you know, any good ecologist will tell you that uh, broader speciation, you know, more species equals a healthier environment. So um, having more owls around is a good thing. 
Yeah, and that that just shows how important they really are. Okay, so this is going to be my last question. What problems are owls facing right now, and what can we do to help? Uh, the biggest problem that owls face right now is people. I mean, just sort of straight up, that's just the truth there. Um, in danger in New Jersey in particular, and this is where you and I both live, um, mostly from, uh, you know, habitat loss. These animals are um, primarily in danger, I think, from human activity. Um, you know, we probably don't need to get into the, uh, you know, the climate change thing, but that certainly plays a part of it, a part in it. I think that the um, the traditional breeding grounds of a lot of these types of birds and really all animals have, have shifted and, you know, had to move either north or south in response to uh, changes in climate. So that's, that's a thing too, you know, and what can we do to help? I mean, there are things that people can do, um, you know, right here in New Jersey in their own backyard. I mean, I have a couple of screech owl boxes up in my backyard and we sell those at the Raptor Trust and they're made of cedar, but you can get them from Audubon and you can get them from Wild Birds Unlimited and you can get, you know, bird feeders and bird houses and nesting boxes of all kinds, not just for owls, but for songbirds too. And passing migrants need uh, need food. And, I, you know, I think that People can do things in their um, in their own yards that uh, can can really help. Um, screech owls, in particular, don't seem to mind too much human activity. They've done pretty well around uh, humans, and um, lots of people, even in suburban areas, uh, send us photos all the time. Like, you know, I bought this box and I put it up in my yard, and I, you know, all I had was this like quarter acre patch of the backyard. And look, like there's this little red face sticking out of the hole in the box. don't you you shouldn't your listeners shouldn't get their hopes up that just because they put a box up they're going to get an owl because that box is exactly the right size for squirrels unfortunately the nesting hole is uh about three inches and that's just the size that a screech owl likes it's also just Uh the size that your squirrel likes but hey look if you're getting squirrels in your box they need a place to live too and they become really good great horn owl food somewhere down the road. <laughs> so if we're talking about owls, like, uh, don't, you know, don't despair if you get squirrels because some red-tailed hawk is going to eat them too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a single person who wouldn't want an owl living in their backyard. I know so how cool is that, that's right? Great. <laughs> uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for being here and giving us such awesome information about owls. Um, before you go... Can you talk a little bit about where we can find information about the Raptor Trust? Sure. Uh, So we have a Raptor uh, Trust website. It's theraptortrust.org. You've got to put the the in there because just by luck, there's another place called Raptor Trust in England. And I would be, you know, you should go visit them too. (laughs) But if you want to come see someone here in New Jersey, you can check out our website. We have been closed to the public for quite some time since, uh, since the middle of March with the whole uh, pandemic that's going on. We are gradually going to start reopening soon for a really limited sort of by appointment only uh, kind of visitations. We have information and publications on our website. We have virtual programs that people can do. You can chat with one of our educators and they'll bring out a bird um, just like they would normally have done in a classroom, but instead sort of, you know, into your house on your Zoom screen. Uh, so uh, we, we're trying to do uh, our best to, to meet people in the middle while keeping our staff safe. But you can visit theraptortrust.org to find that information. And, uh, you know, we hope, we hope to see as many people 
uh, as soon as possible, whether that's in person or just uh, virtually. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. Um, and everyone, please go check out the Raptor Trust because they're doing some awesome work. And thank you again so much, Chris, for coming on. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. That interview was so cool, and I'm really glad we were able to have Chris on the podcast. As we learned, owls play an important role in the environment. This is why you should definitely take a look at the Raptor Trust. Some other organizations that also help owls are the Owl Research Institute and Burrowing Owl Conservation Network. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of the owl. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at www.onwildlife.org. You can also email us at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday on wherever you listen to podcasts. And that's On Wildlife. listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray, brought to you every Wednesday.